Welcome back to the Heinemann Podcast. We're kicking off the start of our new season with a special conversation between Sara Ahmed and Chad Everett. Sara Ahmed is the author of Being the Change, Lessons and Strategies to Teach Social Comprehension. She's an international speaker and staff developer in schools around the world, bridging literacy, inquiry, and social identity work. Chad Everett is a former literacy coach and classroom teacher and currently serves as campus president at City University Schools in Tennessee. A self-proclaimed literacy and technology geek, his knowledge of effective technology practices to enhance student learning, coupled with his passion for literacy, makes him a significant resource in the school districts in which he works. Chad is also deeply involved with community adult literacy, believing the change needed to transform education extends beyond the school's walls. In their conversation, Sara and Chad talk about the pitfalls of either-or thinking, the importance of bringing our full selves to our students, and their reflections on what impact this last year and a half has had on education. This conversation is part of Heinemann's new slow conference video series, Forward Ed, Forward Together in Education, a series by educators for educators, featuring authors and teacher practitioners in conversation about some of the biggest challenges facing education. If you would like to watch the full video of this and other conversations, you can find them on the Heinemann Publishing Facebook page or on the Heinemann YouTube channel. Here now are Sara and Chad. So sorry, we get back. We get to be together again. Thanks. We get to be together again. I see school happening in the background there for you. <laughs> there's a lot of school happening on the other side of that door, and there is a big "Do Not Disturb" sign and a locked door, and there's still a very good. My phone is unplugged. <laughs> like there's, but there's still a very good chance um, that, that that's gonna that something might happen, right? Because like you and I are both in new roles now than the last time. We were together in what we like to call the before times. Absolutely. <laughs> Can you tell us what you're doing now, Mr. President? <laughs> well, maintenance man. <laughs> I'm just not head of maintenance. Um, so um, now I'm actually a, uh, so my title, I guess, is slightly inflated, but I did tell folks in high school that I always wanted to be president, and now it's happening. Um, so I'm campus president for a 6 through 12 school. Um, we're actually three schools in one. So we have a girls preparatory school, which is our middle school, grade six or eight. And then we have two high schools. But one of the high schools is really just a smaller cohort inside our main high school that's nine through 12. Um, and so I am now a campus leader. Right. So that was one of the things I always wanted. Um, you know, it's like I thought I wanted. Uh, now I do. Now it's, 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 just, it's been fun. Right. But yeah. yeah. But now I'm a, it's a trap. But now I'm a campus leader. Um, so it's fun. So actually, I spent all of this morning sitting and meeting one on one coaching meetings with my leadership team. And then we had our daily um, whole team leadership briefing. So awesome. I'm doing that. You say no longer, no longer in Thailand. So talk to us. What are you no. Doing? Someone just asked, usually people like every other day, people are like, where are you now? The cool thing about us is that we've been together since we were both kind of in the classroom. We've known each mm-hmm. other, we introduced each other since we were both in the classroom, and then we became coaches <laughs> in classrooms and coaches on the athletic field. Chad drove a bus for a little while. <laughs> I um, And now we're both in these administrative roles, which again, is something that I don't think I aspired to, but it, it came up in in this moment in my life. And so um, I'm taking it on and learning a lot about different 
parts and systems of how school works. And Chad is coaching me every day, (laughs) (laughs) every day on how that looks. Um, So yeah, I'm the director of curriculum integration and innovation, another big title. But what that meant during the pandemic was that I taught fifth grade language arts and was also (laughs) a middle school advisor. And I stayed on as an advisor because I realized the most important thing missing in administration is kids. Yeah. So um, I, I held on to that. But um, that's where we are now. I want to talk a little bit, Chad, about just acknowledging the year that we've all had and um, <laughs> are now moving into again. And we're still having a similar conversation to what we were having in, in yeah. early 2020. I've got to ask, though, you know, we always start the same way. And, and then because your reading list is so much more impressive than mine. It's like you'd be like, I'm reading a, a Harvard Graduate School of Education <laughs> research paper in my leisure time. All right. So I, I've, I've got to ask. So what are you reading now? That's on my window. No, that's a good question. I'm just going to grab everything that's right next to me. And I actually was reading a professor's paper just this morning. I'm going to grab all the books. Um, we're looking at Embarrassment by Tom Newkirk. People might know uh, this yeah. one as a school. I am in the middle of finishing. Everyone knows I can't read one book at a time. All 13. Do you know this one? Mm-hmm. It's about the Thai soccer team that was trapped mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. cave. Anyways, this is one of those books where you think you know the story and then you're reading and you can't breathe because you don't really know the story. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. What else am I reading? Chad, you know, I've got a random stack here. Oh, I, know, I know. You know this? <laughs> I've talked I, about this just a few times. Our joke not, is that. Yeah, we're not together if you aren't like, so I'm reading something by Dan Rather right now. Or, you know, Dan Rather says, like, it's, it, it's, it's amazing how you work that into every conversation. That is the graphic novel version and Dan Rather in all of his history uh, and national knowledge and history that he has. You know that I view him as the person who is the ultimate connector and understand and he understands patriotism. And that's important to me. Did you not pick up a picture book? I'm I'm not used to you not having a picture book in hand. I got a a picture book that my niece was reading that's out on the floor over there. It's Milo Reimagines the World. And then I'm reading a little bit more about um, volume-based reading <laughs> intervention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you see all the multiple hats we wear? What are you reading? Uh, so my shelf is too far away for me to reach over there and grab. Um, <laughs> like, what am I reading right now? Contact tracing documents. <laughs> um, so no, outside of that, like it was really in this new role, right? I wanted to make sure that I was doing service. Uh, to the families and the kids and the teachers that I serve. So now uh, L. David Marquette, um, there's two books he has. One I'm working my way back through, one I'm working my way through for the first time. That one is Leadership is Language, like the power of what we uh, do and, and sometimes most often like don't say in leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also um, turn, the, uh, turn the ship around. Um, so that book completely like he's a retired U.S. Navy captain. Um, so he talks about running a submarine, but it completely like changed the way that I look at like leadership and really empowering people, like switching to like what's your intention instead of getting folks like always I need your permission. But it's been interesting to make that shift in my leadership and thinking uh, and then to watch those around me try to get used to that new paradigm of we're going to lead this way with like, when you come to me, don't ask me for permission, come to me and tell me what your intent is like behind what you're like, tell me how you're about to take action and what you hope to have happen and, and don't wait or look for me to check off on it. And so it's, it, it, it's been good, but it's been, you realize like there's a lot of leadership where it's permission based, like 
folks are always looking for um, permission. And so even yeah. as I think sometimes about like we, we talk about like innovative in, innovating and looking for new things where they can't happen in a permission-based environment. When we talk about risk-taking, those kinds of things. Yeah. Let's unpack, let's unpack permission for a little bit. I want to, <laughs> I want to unpack, I want to unpack that and intent and impact. I think we're going to go there. Right. Yeah. So wait, can you say the name of that title again and the author just so people can. L. David Marquette. Uh, and the title of the book is Turn the Ship Around. And you recommend it to like leaders. Like, so, so I'd say like anyone who's in leadership or has to deal with leaders. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would definitely say like leaders who recognize that there's way too much going on around them for them to know the intricacies of everyone's job. And and then like, and, and then you can't make all those decisions um, because what sort of the premise is what he recognizes is had been training and in the Navy, like they're really particular about training to uh, run it, to be on a submarine. Um, And so like he knew every button, every knob, exactly how it was supposed to run. And then right before he was to be deployed on that submarine, um, he got put, I'm not using the correct terminology, but he got put in charge of another submarine, one of which that he had never trained on. And it was like within two, three days, he would be leaving. Um, And so what he recognized is there was no way that he could know all the technical details of that sub. And so he had to wow. sort of completely revamp and rethink his approach to leadership because he couldn't give directives because he didn't know enough about that sub technically to just be able to give directives. Uh, he sort of shifted his approach to leadership uh, where, again, it's intent based and then think like there's two pillars required for success, mm-hmm. uh, competence and clarity. And so even now I find myself that guiding me in meetings, even what we call sometimes those critical conversations where it's like, maybe it's on me that I wasn't very clear about like what the expectation or what the need was or what we were trying to get done. Or then like competence, like, is it my job to develop you? Is that something that you hold responsibility for? So not not written for school-based leaders, but I think definitely for anyone who's in leadership and anyone who has to deal with folks who are in leadership. Yeah, we just had an admin team meeting yesterday when we were talking about those similar things, but uh, with pressure and support when you're mm. when you're dealing with teams and you're dealing with people, mm. and then the differences between um, just collegiality and congeniality. And a lot mm. of times, schools get those two things confused. Like, when are you being collegial? Like, someone had a hard time in their personal life, we send them flowers. When are you being collegial, though? And that's for the progress of the school and things yeah, like yeah. that. So. I'm going to lift something from that thing that you were talking about, about the submarine. I actually want to know more about that story. We know a few million people around the world that had to shift what they do and how they do it in this last year um, on a dime, right? Yeah, that they, yeah. t- Teachers had to go in and change the way they have done everything, that what they know, um, and switch their craft to accommodate the way the world was moving. And so I want to just quickly start with an acknowledgement that you know, we wanted to make about how this year was exceptional um, for all of us. And I think that um, I've got a book I didn't tell you about, but I've told you about, <laughs> um, you know, um, I'm into this idea of gathering right now. And I've been yeah, reading yeah, yeah. Priya Parker's book about gathering and one about burnout, which are both timely, I would <laughs> say. Um, but I think the thing that I want to acknowledge that we both want to acknowledge is how difficult the year was, that there was talk of loss the entire year. And then that loss narrative and rhetoric were shifted onto teachers as though um, there was so much learning loss in the schools. And I think that it's really important that we need to like think about how we can move forward as this conference is doing. But in order mm-hmm. to do that, you know, I got my moleskin chat. Like I, I, I'm thinking about, <laughs> I'm thinking about how we have to sort of like wade through like the 
the things that happen, right? Like the trauma mm-hmm. and the harm. Mm-hmm. Aren't you feeling that as you're starting the year again? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, like for example, like like you said, it was most of the conversation was around what's been lost, and then yes. we attached dollars to that rhetoric, right, to convince folks that like if you will buy into that narrative when we have funds for you to do those things that you've always needed to do because you and I've had this conversation, right? There are very few things that that we saw really impacting education during the pandemic, like I said, during it, like it's over, right? The impacting education during this pandemic that did not exist beforehand. Right. Um, and, and just that piece. Right. Those were crevices basically that were there. There were fault lines already, right? Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. happened to those fault lines? Those fault lines. But what we didn't talk about is like also something like yes, lots of loss that we have to acknowledge, but then those things that we gained, uh, like not just in terms of lessons learned, but even some of the things that my scholars learned about themselves. Yeah. Um, and, and, and their families and what we've learned about, like you said, gathering with one another and the importance of that. Well, what does that look like? Right. Um, right. Well, when our parents came to us last year with like the hysteria around learning loss, you know, one of the things that we did as advisors is we went to our kids and said, hey, there's grownups talking about this, right? About how you're losing your learning and there's learning loss. And they're like, what does that even mean? I said, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> so what we, what we started to think about was these questions for the kids where we talked about that balance that you're discussing, because you and I both will talk about this at length today. We want to think in this in complexity, right? Like yeah. all the nuances about stuff. If I say there's learning loss, this is like binary thinking, right? Mm-hmm. You're naming that we need to think about the growth. So we asked them questions like, you know, what did you lose this year? We have to acknowledge that. And mm-hmm. some of the kids are like, I lost grandparents or I lost yeah. family members. Um, I lost my pet, right? But I also lost my soccer team and things mm-hmm. that where we couldn't gather and things that our kids know. And on the other side of that, once we talked and unpacked that, we said, okay, so what about growth though? Like, what did you gain this mm-hmm. year? Can we talk about that? And, you know, they were nine and 10 year old responses. Like the kid was like, I grew in my understanding of how to do a headstand. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I gained a, a dog. There are a lot of pandemic puppies in the, in the world, right? Yeah. I gained a new friend. I gained my parents' home language because they were home with their parents so much and they were Normally, when like kids, immigrant kids mm-hmm. try and assimilate, right? We end up losing yeah. a lot of our language. And so some of these kids said, no, I gained, I'm a multilingual speaker now, which is incredible. Um, and those pieces of their identity that they did as well. So I think for us to acknowledge as adults and kids um, to say like, yes, we went through this harm or trauma or loss, um, mm-hmm. growth, um, all of these things, but like burnout for teachers. Right. And so we need to name that and be really candid about it to move forward. And like you talk about, like you just said, like teachers and burnout, like it, it, I think like for some leaders where like there's this push, right. Get back to the building, get back to the building, get back to the building, because that that's going to lower, that's going to lessen the load of teachers having to teach virtually and in person and all those other things. But I'm also thinking about for those early career educators who came into teaching at the beginning of the pandemic or um, a little bit longer into it. Like, as we think about just professional development and what's happening or has happened in terms of our ability to gather together, right. With what that model has looked like. So even now for me moving forward, like, what does it look like if you're an early career educator watching this or you're a leader watching this, who's thinking about um, how do I support my early career um, educators? Because them coming in, um, you know, we often default to what we experience in classrooms, but for them coming in, um, they can't apply that model, right? Because the school environment does not look like the desk that they, that apprenticeship yeah. of observation, right? Like it doesn't apply because it doesn't look like that. 
No, you're so right. You're so right. And I hope there are pre-service teachers that get to hear this. Um, Because one of the things that they can do, Chad, and you and I try and practice this all the time, you know that I'm a big fan of kid watching (laughs) and and just observation, right? And curiosity. So like if we're talking about gathering, I'm going to stay on that thread because I'm thinking so much about it in schools. Mm -hmm. Like pre-service teachers, veteran teachers, admin, like everyone can start to practice like, and just think about it. You can put us on pause and say like, okay, where are all the places that we gather at school? Mm-hmm. Like from the jump right in the parking lot when we're walking into the door. And then there's that threshold that we cross into. And all of a sudden we're in a community, right? right. Where we're coming right. from multiple communities and we're, we're coming into one. So I want you to unpack this with me a little bit. But like, if I'm in the parking lot, if I'm in the morning circle, if I'm in the lunch table, if I'm at the rectangular meeting table, whatever it is, right? I'm thinking about, do I belong? And who belongs in this community, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And what are the ways that we send these messages to kids about whether they belong or not in school? When does that happen, would you say, in terms of gathering? Like Like it happens before they ever, like, before they ever show up in the building, like are their families and are they welcome? If we, even if we just think about the correspondence that we said before the school year starts, um, like is there a way yes. that we get that into yeah. families in their home languages, right? Like, does it say like we're a space that's going to be responsive to you to yeah. even know those kinds of things? You know, you and I've had this conversation around sometimes like we undo what we want to happen in the gathering from what we do around the gathering as folks come in. Like I'm really intentional about I can hear lunch dismissing um, right outside the door that's on this side of my office. And down the stairs, there's our commons area. And that's where all of our students come in first thing in the morning. But I'm like, so stepping out of the car, coming into that space, like how do I want us to gather in that space? Is I think about how, how their identity didn't necessarily shift, but maybe they're leaning into a different part of that as they come out of the car, like in that vehicle or getting off of that bus, like only you were one thing right that you may have been leaning into like it's that last look at mom or dad or or grandma before they get out but then the second they cross that threshold into the building like the first categorization that um like very often in my building this year we get like first question how we're going to gather here no you're here like you're middle school so you gather with this group um but then as a campus leader that makes me go back and think though what happens when i'm trying to convey to them that we're still one school like the shirt that I have on says we are city and it's really intentional because we're three schools in one. But Great with the shirt. way we <laughs> I can't with you. Right? Like we're three schools in one. All right. So for folks know us, we like if we were in a, if we were face to face, we'd have to like Sarah's cracking a joke because I know how to work a cricket machine and she doesn't. And so <laughs> I made the shirt that I have on because I'm a new campus president and I don't have any swag yet. And you um, say it would make me a t-shirt and he never did. So well, a digression. That's not why we're here. We're forward together. We're not going back there. Um, but just thinking about it in that space is like, how does the language that I use and how does like what happens initially when the, when it, students come into that space or even like our teachers, like when they come into that space? Right. Um, what does that look like in terms of how we go? Well, and for teachers, if we're thinking about just demographics, right, like a, a majority of our teachers in this country may not have to even consider their identities when they're walking into the school. Right. Mm-hmm. That they have been sent a societal message that they belong anywhere that they go, that this is that they just belong. And they don't even have to think about that, right? Whereas some of our kids and some of our teachers that we work side by side with, um, this is an experience that I've had in a school where you have to code switch the minute you step in that door. Like you said, Mm -hmm. the last look at mom or dad, 
parent, grandparent, whoever it is, the last look at the adult I'm with, maybe the last time that I see myself and I'm walking through that door, I've got to code switch. I've got to code switch my language. I've got to code switch the way that I emote. I've got to code switch the way that I communicate my expression, my you know body, physical space, all, all of these things that we ask kids to do. And you and I have talked about at length, like uniform schools, dress code, all of that. Some of those messages that kids are sent before they even step in the door. Some kids get good morning. Some kid gets tuck your shirt in, pull that yeah. up. Yeah, Where's like, your tie? Where's this? Right. Right. And from a very practical standpoint, like here's what's interesting is that I'm in a uniform school now. Like I wasn't before, but I will see a scholar come by me and not be in uniform. I don't address it then. Mm -hmm. So whether that be, we've got to talk about something in terms of their wardrobe or whether that be uh, like, like your jackets out of uniform regulations or whatever case may be. The first thing they hear is good morning. The next thing they likely hear is me playing my playlist because that's also my morning time, but I'm playing it loud enough for everyone to hear. But then until we go to morning assembly, right? Like I don't say anything about dress codes. Um, Just because I want the first thing that happens, that first interaction, that first engagement to be a positive one, like you said. Um, And there'll be a gap between that positive one before the one that they may feel like is less positive. But even just like for leaders and teachers, think about it's a slight shift. It's not to say that I'm not required to enforce the uniform expectation. Yes. It's just a matter of when I like the flexibility I have of when I do that. Right. Yeah. And so I think like like we're thinking about our systems, like we're talking about gathering now and how we gather the messages that we send. But I think that can be applied to so many things that we felt like were sort of hard guidelines or rails that we had to stay inside. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, you may have to operate inside those lines. Right. But it doesn't tell you where you have to begin coloring inside those lines. Right. There's a there's a piece. There's so much there about um, visibility. Right. Mm-hmm. Visibility of of appearance, but there's identity visibility and all of that stuff. And like he said earlier, I was reading a paper. Um, and there was, a, um, I just, I love reading abstracts. I'm such a weirdo, but there's, um, there's a professor at, uh, in New York at Hunter college. Um, her name is uh, Linda Martine Alcoff. She, she talks about social identities and she says, I actually, I wrote it down, of course, um, and visibility. She says, our experience of our identities is not a mere concept or category. They are the experiences of our bodies in our social worlds of our embodied visibility. So I think, you know, for folks listening and, and for us, you and I, every time we walk in outside of our doors in the morning, we consider I, we have to consider what markers of our identities are visible, right? When we step outside and how that impacts the way we get to sort of walk through this mm-hmm. world. And the kids, mm-hmm. when we think about that and the implications for them, as educators, we need to see that in, in our schools, right? We need to consider that when we're thinking about that. Because I think um, I think if you just ask kids what messages they're sent, they could tell you. Yeah, like I have a proposal somewhere you all can't see it because hopefully I'm blocking the mound of papers that's completely surrounding me. Um, But like I have a proposal from my journalism students um, that they submitted to me today. Um, Like you talk about asking the kids. So it's, it's, it's been funny being a new campus president because they haven't had one in a little while. And so, uh, but they're discovering like I really am as accessible as I say I am. So the other day I get uh, a text message from one of my instructional facilitators that says the, the journalism class uh, would like to meet with you if you have a moment. And so I hit my mode skin, I head on down and there's this group of, they're the spokespeople. So like this group of six 
that they gather around me at a table and they're like, here's what we want to do with the journalism class. And then they were like, we want broadcast journalism to be a component of it. So we talked through and I'm like, okay, well, turn it into me. Cause like, if I'm going to spend money, I'm fine with that, but I need to know kind of what you want to do and what your vision is. And like, they turned in a really impressive proposal. But what's funny is the first recorded segment that they want to do is on mental health. Mm. Like just talking about like, a we hold on. It's Unpack all- that. What'd they say? This will also make students, so I'll just start here with this line. This will also make students more comfortable in school environment and have a sense of belonging because our show is centered around the students. We will focus on common student problems, and our first topic is mental health. We chose mental health because not only did the pandemic affect us, but there's so much going on in our lives that oftentimes we're silent because we think no one understands or no one else is suffering when in actuality we are. Right? Like they didn't need me to tell them like what they needed in their curriculum, right? But like, like how many times do you talk about like our curriculum as kids, right? Like we teach it. All right. Um, I mean, but for them, like that's what they need. That's what they want. If we go in and in that classroom, if that teacher sticks to the, the syllabus, right, and is not responsive to that, we failed. First of all, thank you to those kids because that was a moment where as an adult, you have to sit back and go, I'm just going to listen. I'm not going to wait to talk. Right. Like you had to sit there and really hear what they had to say. So thank you for that. You talk a ton about complexity. I want to talk about that. Listen to the layers that they are addressing there for them as they walk into that school and what they carry Mm -hmm. like with them. There's a, there's a, I want to talk about the truth, right? I want to talk about mm-hmm. teaching kids the truth <laughs> and our obligation to teaching the truth. But I, I also want to talk about how not teaching the truth creates unsafe conditions for these kids, right? Good. And not so, being truthful creates unsafe conditions. Yeah. So if we back up and like you and I had this conversation, like we could have recorded this on our phone call last week, right? Where, like, where am I? This is wow that folks keep breaking things like into like, this either or yes, no, black, white binary, right? When in reality, like the one thing we have to be able to do in order to survive and be successful and for like our students is this idea of handling complexity. It's very rare, right, that any issue um, can be boiled down to just this binary understanding. So as we think about like how we engage with students, how we engage with one another, like you and I talk about like watching the news or scrolling Twitter, right? Where it's like, good, bad, good, bad. There's no in between. (laughs) Um, And it's like yelling from all the the polar sides of it, right? Right. And it's this idea of of teaching, of teaching truth, right? Like the, the notion that to tell the truth about our history, right? It's bad and it will make students this. It's like, it's because very often, like our approach is very fact driven, like know this, memorize this, but not let me teach you the complexity of this place. Let me teach you the complexity of people, right? Like this is good person in history. This is bad person in history. Um, But instead of navigating, like this person did some really messy stuff, this, but they also did these good things over here. And both of those things can be true. And like we have decided adults that who is the good person in history and who is the bad person in history that we're teaching you about, right? We as the textbook creators and we as the bias holders of everything, you know, like that is the the thing. And like kids, marginalized folks and young kids from a very young age understand that the truth is not being told about their bodies and about their personal histories, right? And that's the thing that leads to this feeling of belonging that this journalism group is talking about and safety. I'm like, what that feels like. And we all know every scholar, people are shouting from the rooftops that the silence piece is the complicity piece too. That is included in not telling the truth. And there's, um, Priya Parker uses a word from the, the, the book that I mentioned earlier. She says, um, 
that we, unfortunately in front of us, a lot of times we have this unhealthy peace. Mm. He calls it, an, it's an inability to name the fracture that's in front of us. Mm-hmm. And hello, like here we are today sitting in 2021 where there are grownups fighting to not tell the truth. Right. And that cannot handle this unhealthy peace so much so that they're willing to spend their energy and time withholding it from anyone else. Um, and I, I think that's an important thing when that, that fracture lives. And we're not just talking about school. We all know mm-hmm. for the last yeah. decade, as long as people have been communicating with each other, even just people use 2016 as a marker for that. But it was long before that, as you said. Right. Those things have always existed. That fracture exists not just in schools, it, that exists at people's dinner tables, when family comes over, in circles that you gather in, and like, social like, circles. Like we become conditioned, right, to be like, yeah. I, like I think about your work around identity, right, and this whole notion of can I bring my truth into this space? Yes. Can I bring the truth of who I am into this space, right? Like, And am I ready to decenter my truth for your, your truth? Right? Right? Like that idea of handling complexity, that both things can be true, like, or, like, yes, like it does not, it doesn't happen often enough. And I think about it in the midst of what we're navigating, like more than ever, we should be listening and watching because I think there can be this push to say, we're doing all of this to engage our families and our students. So we're doing this, so we're doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. But if that family comes in and says, yeah, that thing doesn't work for us. Yeah. And that idea that you can be doing a lot, but it's still like it still may not be of service to everyone. And you must be willing to um, reevaluate and think through and say, like, okay, let's let's back up. Let's think through what you're saying and figure out where we need to go next. Yeah, we'll unpack that because you talk about all the time You because the two of us, when we're with anybody, we'll just raise questions for people. Right. We don't have all the answers. We barely can finish a sentence (laughs) word together. But unpack that question about like who does this policy serve i've heard you say it to people before. Yeah, yeah, yeah like when i'm like i, I have about 10 of them sitting to my right right now right when you're asking yourself like when you're thinking about a policy like you have to think about the history of that policy right because all things have a context um they didn't appear out of the, as we say the clear blue sky and so you're thinking about the context in which it came then thinking about also like is this policy accepted or rejected within my system um like you y'all gonna tell me like some folks just a rebel without a cause like they just like they're just looking yeah. for something to rage against um but oftentimes right it's a reflect or if we're asking that question of is this accepted or rejected within my system i'm trying to figure out like within this system in some ways can i bring my truth can my scholars bring their truths into this space? Um, because are there policies that are reinforced within the system but are harmful to students? Um, and, you know, like I was jumping to that last part in that diagram that I did, which is like, um, who served well by this policy? Yeah. But then also who's not served well by this policy? Because almost every um, flyer that's sent out by a school or a college or recruitment piece, right, it's, it's built around who served well by it. Right. <laughs> like, like you talk about recruitment, like you're, we're highlighting, okay, y'all at that school weren't being served well by that, but over here, you're going to be served well. But how often do we say that even in a space where we think it's successful that we pause to say like, but this policy, who's not being served well by this in our buildings. And so how powerful would it be? Like, even as we think about distance learning or virtual learning or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, or the decision to go back into buildings, who served well by it? Mm-hmm. who's not served who's not served well by it. and then the complexity there like i think about um a friend of mine who has um a child with an autoimmune disease and so thinking through like for her child 
being in school is extremely risky right now. But after being at home and only socializing with his sister, <laughs> for the most part, and his parents, like she recognizes like, yo, you need to go be around some people your own age. You're starting to like where I was joking about, like you're talking like, old oh, man, like, like you need to, you need to <laughs> go be around some folks. Yeah. Like, you need to go. <laughs> What's that idea that both things can be true? That right. the decision to come back into school is extremely risky for him from a health perspective, but at the same time, from mental health perspective, right? Like he needs to be around his peers. Like both yeah. of those things can be true. Why do you think that's so hard for people for that to, for that, the coexist piece of that? Like, what is that? That the resistance is there, right? With any, any change, resi- there's resistance, right? It's right. Met, met with resistance and it lives like, I was just listening to something yesterday about, about schools and, and change and, I don't know, you know, all the admin things that we need to watch, but like the speaker said something about like when there's change, it leads sort of this double life, right? Like it's met with resistance or it's met with progress, whatever that is. So Mm -hmm. what is that, that people can't coexist in that space, that this is true and this is also someone else's truth? Like for me, as I think about like if it's, I'm writing policy, right? Or, Or I'm thinking through policy. It's just policies are often like, by their very nature, because like the legalities of it, right? Like, so it's, you write a policy where it's very black and white and not allowed to leave gray area. So, so right. I feel like so often in terms of our thinking and asking that question, who served well and not served well by it, like, but no, this is the policy. We'd have to write another policy for this and then another policy for that. So very often, right, what we think is, is that we'll write a policy that works for the, um, the majority of folks. Like that's who the policy is written for. Yeah. And, and sometimes then, the, isn't it those, the people too, that get the ear of the yeah. policy makers. Yes. yes. And so it, like, there you go. Like it, that's the second point. Like sometimes in schools, like it's the majority of folks. And other times it's like who holds power in yeah. this space? Like, like, cause those who hold power, like you were about to say, like are served, usually one served well by most policies. And so, because, but the question on the backside of that, right. Is then who gets pushed, like who gets pushed to the margins as a result of that, right? Like if those who aren't being served well in our schools, that's, that's the group, right? That's but that's the group we want to RTI to death. Like that's the group we- I was just like, going to bring up reading. Yeah. That's that, like that's that yes. group, but we never, we're like, oh, but we have a policy for them. Yes. But we never bothered to ask like, but they weren't served well in your initial yeah. policy. That's why you had to have the second policy. Yes. There must be something wrong with them. So we have this yeah. intervention system for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Don't you worry. We've got a scaffold and a flow chart ready for these people. I mean, we're sitting in the middle of, uh, I don't hate using the term reading wars because right, again, right. this zero complexity, to, it, like yes, when you think, yes. when you use a term like that, right? Like, can a kid be served by, I told you I'm reading that volume-based approach. Can a kid be served by a volume-based approach and meaning making and comprehension work and rich read alouds? Yes. <laughs> can they also be served by fluency work and print work? Yes. And word study, <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but we don't like we don't handle it that way. And if you think about like well, we're a school and we're right or we're a district and writing our building level literacy plan, like no, we need to get this down to black and white. Like for no, here's what we do. Here's what we believe. Here are our stakes in the ground. Instead of saying like, what does the kid in front of you need? <laughs> like what does that kid need? And then write your policy in such a way where you can be adaptive and responsive to. What does that kid need? Or as leaders, as we think about what does this teacher need? Yeah, you're hitting on you're hitting on the thing that um, we talk about, and we do this in the institute when we work. We know we stand on Smokey Daniel's shoulders, and we talk yes. about curiosity, <laughs> yes. right? And we think about curiosity in school. Like you are modeling that right now. It's like I think it's really important to. 
stay curious in all of this, in in the anti-CRT rhetoric, in the legislation that's being passed, in the articles and echo chambers about reading, in all in all of this that's happening as we move forward together, I would say the number one thing people need to do is stay curious, yeah. right? I, th- I think I, I talked to you a little bit about this the other day, but I, I was talking to somebody about like the, the banned books and the books that are being pulled from this list. And I was like, and the legislation that's being passed and people are mm-hmm. conflating CRT legislation with just <laughs> any work that has to do with pe- human beings, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and diversity and equity and inclusion because schools hold on to these terms and these acronyms. Um, and I just said to the person like that curiosity and imagination are sort of like virtues and luxuries of a democracy, right? We, mm. I've lived in a country that is not a democracy before. I understand very, I understood very quickly the, the lack of curiosity and imagination that can happen as a result of that. It's why oppressive regimes have historically tried to first eliminate literature, language, communication, right? We see it today. Oh. <laughs> I shouldn't say in history, history meaning this Restore. morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think like we all need to stay really curious and ask questions that should be front and center in our classrooms anyways. I hope if you're leading with curiosity, I don't know what you think, what you're thinking yeah. about that. Yeah, like questions, like um, questions before conclusions yes. is like just something that I live by uh, in the way that I lead and even in the way that I talk. Right. It's like why we both believe so firmly in conferring. Um, <laughs> Where like when teachers like midst of a pandemic, are we going to confer? And I'm like, we can't. Like we can't. We can't not. Like we yes, we we will find the safest way to do it. But just that practice of questions before conclusions, and it doesn't matter whether it's a student's writing, what you think you know about that student as a reader, what you think you know about that student or that teacher in their life. Like questions before conclusions. Always, because then you're also in a constant feedback loop, right? This is not just for conferring or workshop. Like you mm-hmm. are in, you are saying to the person in front of you, like as you are learning, unlearning, relearning, trying something out. Like I am in conversation with you about this, and we'll be together in this feedback loop. So. supported and again that like tiny piece of like pressure like we need to move forward yeah or even just the question of like i want to understand why like even the way we approach that questioning right like instead of Mm -hmm. why did you like i want to understand why and then leading in you know that way and digging into like i was reading this summer um because i think i told you all about it and made you hear all the stories but like oprah winfrey and dr bruce perry what happened their book what happened to you um and just asking that question sometimes like so what happened that led to this situation or that led to this behavior whether it be not just today um but in the past like i think about there have been two like i been fully transparent. So you're coming in as a new campus president in a school where no one knows you because I'm not from this area mm-hmm. or not from the immediate area around the school, like 20 minutes down the road. But anyway, so um, it's been interesting for me to navigate the time at which I was hired coming in and building relationships with the teachers and, and, and the kids um, where I've had to be a, re- a lot more intentional about backing off of that whole narrative of what do you mean? I'm the campus president. I'm your principal. You know who I am. Um, so I stopped during yesterday's morning assembly. Uh, and I'm like, yo, one of the things I recognize is that I have not told y'all who I am. Like, you know who I am, but I haven't told you who I am. Like, why I do what I do, what I'm passionate about. Why are you here? Now, yes, did I mess up the bail schedule yesterday because of that? Because I kept in the morning assembly for too long. <laughs> and so no one knew what time we were going to first period. Um, but in that moment, that's what was needed is to slow down and just say, 
yo, I need to tell you who I am and ask that question. So you understand why I act the way I do or, or what happened. But then there've been two kids that eh, we'll call it being like um, not so passively resistant to something I was trying to get them to do. Let the record state that Chad loves to use the word president now more than I heard ever. <laughs> All the time. Come off. Come off. It's the oval. It's a thing. Right. And so I do. It's a thing. Like when this kids come in, I'm like, welcome to the oval. Oh, he's got to live it up. But I also appreciate your vulnerability there, right? Like you, who someone who practices this as a practitioner of this, of thinking about this all the time, you stepped into a space uh, with all of everything that was filled up you up, right? Into mm-hmm. that space. And you said, this is what I do. This is why I'm here. This is my role. Um, right, right. And you kind of stepped back. And I think you kind of, you explored the understanding of humanity a little mm-hmm. bit. You had to do that. And you do that all the time. So it's it's easy if that could happen for you, right? That could happen. Yeah. I don't know at any point. But you know, stuff looks like like it's the strategy. Like s- slow down your thinking, notice what you notice, and then interrogate the belief. Yes. Um, like I said again, like notice what you notice. Like for me here, um, in a place that's unfamiliar, I'm noticing more than I would have. Like there was so much that I could take for granted in my last school because I knew it. Like, I, and so the noticings were completely different, but here in interactions with students really back and I'm saying, why am I even engaging this student right now? Like, what was the thing that I felt was so urgent or so important that I needed to be here? What did I notice? And then my thinking around that thing, like just whether it be appearance or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And then like, I'm engaging with this kid this way because this happened. Or I walked up, like there was a, a student yesterday, he's standing in the hall with one of my teachers um, having a discussion. It was a one-sided discussion <laughs> um, but, uh, about some behavioral expectations. Right, yeah. It was a one-sided discussion. Um, but immediately, like the things that I'm noticing as I walk up to him, right? Like I'm reading his body language, I'm reading his face. But I like, and, I, and I'm not gonna lie, like I'm forming conclusions on the way. But then, like, when we got back to my office, I had to unpack and undo all of that, right? And so in interrogating the belief when we got back, he was, we had to go to another place with the consequence for his behavior. But he, um, he's like, well, if we're going to do this, can I turn on my work, though? Yeah. And I'm like, you're about to get this consequence, and you're still worried about turning You see what he's thinking about. (laughs) Right. But in class, he, like, he had just gotten in trouble the day before because someone came in and gave him a packet to do. And he was like, it's third day of school. We got to do all of this. <laughs> and so we had a 20 minute discussion on timing and tone. Um, yeah. But just like for him, that questioning and figuring out where he was coming from. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait, you were just asking that question because you really wanted to know. Like, it's the third <laughs> day of school. Do I really have to do all of this? I know, because I was just about to come to sweep into his side and say, who's giving the packet out? And what is that for? He's sending the message to that adult, right? To say like, this is what we have to do on third day school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's really important. Like slow down your thinking. Remember who you're with. Like, you know, I just walked into school that we have summer camp going on. I walked in just the sound of kids voices, like how quickly we, we remember our vocation, right? Like mm-hmm. we get bogged down and all of that. There's not an educator I know that doesn't say like, go to the preschool room or the kindergarten room if you want to feel better about yourself. Right. And like, yeah. things like that. so like, if we can place ourselves back uh, to where, it, what, what matters and why we chose right? We chose this profession. I need to remind people that the kids don't get to choose us when they come into (laughs) our spaces necessarily. Um, but we chose to be there. And so we have to remember that. So I think like for folks listening and for us, like 
as educators in schools every day. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we, what are we committing to for this year? Like going forward, like we said, curiosity, right? What else did yeah. we talk about? Like not being so locked into a policy that we're not willing to like asking myself, what does this student need though? Right. So yeah. it goes back. It's like, I feel like almost everything we we're going to say is going to go back to living a curious lifestyle. Yeah. But being being willing to adapt and adjust. Yeah. Like we realized in a very short period of time for a number of us, like we could like we were in school one day and then you're like, oh, quarantine numbers are too high. You won't be yeah. here for the next two weeks. Um, yeah. So like we've proven that we can pivot. Right. I know folks hate that word. Right. But like <laughs> that we can <laughs> that we can pivot or like that we can go in a different direction. But then let's take that same energy to being back in the building. Like being willing yeah. to adjust or pivot or make a change because like when the curiosity reveals that we need to do something different. And curiosity reveals critical thinking, right? Which is under mm-hmm. attack <laughs> along with truth. Truth and critical thinking are under attack in, in our you mean country. those schools that we say in our mission and vision statements that we're promoting? Yes, all of them. <laughs> all of them. If I did a, one of those word bubble things, mm-hmm. I feel like that would be a big word inside that bubble thing, right? Yeah. Um, but we're promoting that. So like we, we stay curious, right? And we, and I think we we commit to the truth. We talked about that, right? Yeah, yeah. Say your say your three steps again. Slow down your thinking. Slow down your thinking. Notice what you notice, and then interrogate the belief. And I, I mean, one of the last things I'll say is that um, I'm rereading Tom Newkirk's book Embarrassment for the last time, and, and not for the last time, for like the hundredth time. And so, I think one of the things that he names is that embarrassment. There's an embarrassment in learning, and that people have a hard time as a society. We have a hard time making mistakes. Right. And we can't face our mistakes. And in Brian Stevenson's work, you know, if I'm not reading Dan, rather I'm reading Brian Stevenson. (laughs) Um, He says that we have a hard time facing shame in this country. Mm -hmm. So like at the smallest level of like a mistake in the classroom, like, and that's not small to that kid. Right. But at the, or the smallest level of like saying the wrong thing to somebody, like it's about the mistake. We have to face our shame. We have to face the candor and that is shame, right? That's really what that is. Mm -hmm. We have to face our our embarrassment while we're learning and unlearning and relearning um, a history that is now it's been physically everywhere, materialistically, it's been everywhere in our country. It faces us all the time. We just haven't looked. And now people are looking in this sort of reckoning that we're having. having. And I think um, just facing those truths is, is going to be a step for us. And, and curiosity to me lies at sort of like the foundation of all of that. No, 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 no. So um, what else? Think for me, walk humbly. Um, like that, that's, that's my thing because I think sometimes folks expect like the campus leader or those in leadership, make the decision, move quickly. Um, you should know where you're in charge and it's just like, mm-hmm, walk humbly because it's so much easier for me to walk humbly than it is to have to go back and clean up when I didn't or when I like, yes. I moved quickly, right? Like it's just slow down, walk humbly and, and, and don't think, you know, Right. Like, don't yes. think, you know, like even if you come into this with two years of experience, 20 years of experience, like don't think you have it mastered. I mean, that goes back to a kid's KWL sheet, right? Like, it's like mm-hmm. what I think I know mm-hmm. is this. And I'm going to have some misconceptions on the way. Like we are teaching six and seven year olds how to do that. We can practice that same thing yeah, yeah. as adults. So sorry, like, you know. Like I, I, I hate that our time is coming to an end because I feel like I haven't gotten to be with you in in so long. Um, and so what about this? So here, here's what I want to do. Right. So usually like you and I send other folks off with like a, a word for them. But I guess I'll, I'll do it this way. So my hope for you 
uh, this year, Sara, right? As you as you go into doing the work uh, with, yeah, I don't know why you're trying to make me cry. In leadership, <laughs> is that um, right? That you continue to live curiously, and even as you're in leadership, that you take those things that you know are true for kids and for families, and that you don't run from it, but instead you continue to be a fierce advocate for them and what they need and that you take that same lens of curiosity that you have for kids and you apply that same thing to the teachers that you lead. I pray that every day your bucket is filled, even in the moments where it feels like it's ended. I tell you that I believe in you. I've seen you do incredible work. I know that this year will stretch you and grow you in ways that I can't even imagine, but I'm so grateful um, to get to know you, to get to call you friend, to get to call you a thought partner, to get to call you a trash talking buddy. Um, but I hope this year that you hold the truth of who you are to heart and don't let anything about the system or this world chip away at that. That's what I have. <laughs> I don't. How do you want me to speak right now? That's my hope for you. You don't have to speak. And let me say that the same thing I hope is true for everyone that's watching, because I feel like what happens so often is that the system and the policies and, and all the things of everyone who just wants to, sh that shows up and puts it on the line every day. Um, for kids and their families that you hold on to the things that you know to be true, right? The, the place that we're at, causes us to question and wonder and pivot and adjust. But I really hope that you continue to hold to those things that you know to be true, that you keep your mind open to complexity and, and discovering new things and that you protect who you are and that you protect that truth that you know. That's what I have. Thank y'all so much for thank taking you, time everybody. out to join with us. Um, thank you. I am... I wish for you that your cricket machine works for every Friday. <laughs> I wish for you that you have the year where people see your worth in a community and that it is, I'm going to say finally, <laughs> visible to the people around you and they are made aware of what you bring. And I'm speaking to Chad, but I'm we both are speaking to everyone here. Um, when you step into your spaces that you not only feel seen, but again, that you see everyone around you and how they create meaning for you and how you reciprocate that meaning and create meaning for them. Um, I can't say anything else because I'll just continue to cry. I hope we can go fishing soon. That's my biggest wish for both of us. Yeah, we, wish, yeah. we wish you all um, a year of the of the kind of proximity that you are able to get um, in this year to people. And we hope you find that in whatever safe and healthy way that you can. Our thanks to Sara and Chad for their time today. You can find Sara on Twitter at Sara K. Ahmed. And you can find Chad at Chad Everett like to see more video conversations from the Heinemann Forward Ed series, visit Heinemann.com slash Forward Together, or you can check them out on Heinemann's YouTube channel and Facebook page. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. It is produced and edited by Steph George, sound mixing by Steph George. Our creative producer is Lauren Audette, and our executive producer is me, Brett Whitmarsh. 
To learn more about the Heinemann Podcast, visit blog.heinemann.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.